Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't going to tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Last week I told you a story about the Rocker B Ranch. A lot of you subscribers to Western Horsemen have have seen the Rockerby Ranch and the and the Western Horseman. It's outside of Big Lake, Texas, which is about seventy miles west of San Angelo, Texas. And I had the opportunity to kind of grow up during my high school years on that ranch. And that was long before, you know, Western Horseman photographers were coming out and taking pictures of us and everything. It was just a cowboy job back then. It wasn't uh real glamorous like like they make it be, but one day we had a we had a big charlet bull that uh was in the wrong pasture and he'd just go over fences like they were nothing because they're that powerful and i mean if you know we, we talked with with a rancher this morning about a had a had a bull in the wrong pasture i mean if you think a five or six wire barbed wire fence is going to stop a bull you, you got another thing coming i mean they they basically go wherever they want to however they want to whenever they want to and so we had a bull that was in the wrong pasture and, and, uh, you know, they had kind of a specific breeding program, but on the, it wasn't just one program. We had about two or three different programs going for, uh, for different types of commercial application. And so the, the, uh, cattle foreman told four of us to, to go rope those, to go rope the Charlet bull and we was going to pull it into a trailer and take it back and, to where it needed to be and and then there was some other threats that the bull was not made aware of about if he continued to be where he wasn't supposed to be and so we got out there and we found the bull and he ran off and we built fire to him and you know i kind of being being a young inexperienced cowboy like i was you know i kind of i kind of t-rexed it you know like this because i i didn't really want to latch onto that that big thing because i i wasn't experienced as the other cowboys but uh, two cowboys got him roped and uh, around the head and got him stopped. And and then uh, the cattle foreman sent my dad to get the trailer. And so dad loped off a couple of miles to get the trailer and drive the truck and trailer uh, through the brush and mesquite. And the cattle foreman followed him in his pickup. And we got there and I got off my horse. And my job, if you've never seen uh a cow or a bull pulled into a trailer you got to kind of run the ropes through the trailer so that you pull him you know into the trailer not just to the to the back of it so anyway while one horse held him i took the rope and i run it through the trailer and gave it back to the cowboy and then i took the other rope and run it through the trailer and gave it to the other one on the other side and they poured the lead to their horses and i mean those those horses gave it everything they got but these were just you know little quarter horses and and i'll never forget that that big bull he got right up to the back and he stuck his front legs kind of underneath the trailer in the back and he just kind of grunted and just sat there and both those horses couldn't pull that pull that bull in and so finally the cattle foreman backed his truck in right in beside my dad's truck and he said let me have one of those ropes and so one cowboy undallied and I ran it up there and tied it to the ball of his pickup. And then as soon as it was tied off, I took the other rope and run it through there and, and tied it to the back. And he sat there and he's like, all right, here we go. And he put that manual transmission truck in drive. 
in a low and gave and, and dolly gas he gave her gas and that i could see those three-eighths ropes stretched to about a quarter of an inch and you could i mean if i walked up there and plucked one of them it'd be like the high e string of a guitar and that old bull just grunted louder and he's you could see and if you've never seen a charlet bull i mean they're huge and they're just double muscled and everything and and all of a sudden that truck's back tire started to spin that bull was holding an entire pickup and so anyway you could tell the clutch was put in and you heard some four-wheel drive here we go baby and so anyway he put it in in four low and he let off the clutch and that bull groaned even louder he said and i just knew that i took like two steps back because i knew those ropes were both of those nylon ropes were about to break and he just sat there and he's holding a four-wheel drive three-quarter ton pickup by his neck and i remember vividly vividly looking at that bull and out loud but under my breath i said please just go in because my worst fear at that moment wasn't a rope breaking. It was that I just knew that the front legs of that bull was about to snap. And I actually seen that years later driving down the highway, uh, pulling into Fort Stockton, which is about 90 miles west of Big Lake. And this guy had a little bumper pull trailer with a really crappy uh, floor in it. And one of his cows had fallen through the back and, and, and her legs were broke at the knees and dragging her down the highway. And boy, I flagged her. I flagged him down. I mean, I honked. I just nearly, you know, pulled a, a, a chips type car chase trying to get this guy pulled over. And I felt so sorry for that rancher. You could tell he was a poor rancher, just probably had a couple of cows. And I mean, he had tears streaming down his face because of what had happened to 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 his cow back there that his floor was rotten and it gave way and and you know of course we ended up having to not at that time but whenever he got to where he was going he ended up having to shoot that cow but th that's what i was afraid of whenever it happened i just knew that that truck was you know he was basically just wedged under the front or the back of that trailer and he was holding that four-wheel drive pickup and i took two steps back and i said man just please please just just go in and that's when it happened i don't know if he gave out i don't know if his legs gave out or if he picked one leg up maybe the pain was too too tight but if you've never seen a 2500 pound charlet bull i don't even know what they weigh 22 2500 pounds slingshotted into the front of a 16 foot trailer it is a sight to behold i mean those ropes were stretched so tight and he just i mean he literally landed about halfway up and then slid about another three feet into that deal into that trailer and he just laid there and i run back there and i slammed the gate and we just left the ropes on him for then because he got up and for some reason he's a little hot today we're going to talk about what true power looks like just what ty started with what true power looks like it doesn't look like powerful charlet bulls it doesn't look like powerful four-wheel drive pickups 
It's much more simple, yet much more powerful and much more dangerous. We're in part two of a three-part series called Dangerous Christianity. Last week, we talked about how Jesus was one of the most dangerous individuals that ever lived. And, and why was he dangerous? He was dangerous because he was uncontrollable, okay? He was uncontrollable. He wasn't controlled by what his friends thought. I mean, there's one time when Peter tried to take him aside and, and, and chastise God made flesh and tell him that he wouldn't let him be crucified. And Jesus told him, get away from me, Satan, for you don't, you're just thinking about the ways of the world. Jesus was uncontrolled by by his friends, but he's also uncontrolled by his family. There's another time that Jesus is preaching to a, to a group of people, and somebody walks up to him as he's talking and said, Hey, your mama and your brothers want to talk to you outside. And Jesus says, Who is my mother? Who is my brothers? Anybody that follows the will of God is my brother and mother and sister. He wouldn't be controlled by what his friends thought. He wouldn't be controlled by what his family thought. He wouldn't be controlled by society. I mean, you know, he, he goes to eat at this Pharisee's house, which basically is kind of like a congressman, right? And, and, he, and he walks in there, and instead of doing the ceremonial hand washing that everybody did to, to appear holy, Jesus goes in there and just dives right into the, to the buffet, right? And, and they criticize him, and they're like, hey, man, you didn't wash your hands. And he's like, man, you're worried about being clean on the outside. How about worrying about being what's being clean on the inside? Jesus was dangerous. He wasn't controlled by friends. He wasn't, be, he wasn't controlled by family. He wasn't controlled by what society thinks. And he dang sure wasn't controlled by something that's in control of us a lot of times. And that's sin. Jesus went out into the desert for 40 days, and he's starving, and he's, he's weak, and, 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 and none of us have gone without food for 40 days, okay? But Jesus was right after he was baptized, right after he was dunked, not in a horse trough, but in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And after 40 days of nearly starving to death, the devil came and tempted him with sin each and every time, and Jesus turned him down. Jesus was dangerous, not, 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 not because he was mean, but because he was uncontrollable. And another aspect of Christianity that is dangerous is that following Jesus is powerful. And this world doesn't like things that are powerful. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 53, this... this it, I hesitate to say it, but y'all know me well enough that's been here for a while. I'm just going to say it like I see it. This is the most B.A. verse in the Bible. Okay? And it says, <laughs> Jesus says, do you not think that they, they've come to arrest Jesus, right? At the end of Matthew, at the end of Matthew chapter 26, 27, and 28 talks about his death, burial, and resurrection. And he says, do you think that I cannot call on my father? And he at once will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. That's powerful, folks. That is powerful. I mean, you, you think about it. In the Old Testament, there's like an army of like 5,000 people and one angel. God sent one angel to kill all of them to protect the nation of Israel. And I don't even remember how big the army was, but it was huge. One angel. 
And yet Jesus says right here, do you not think that I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? Now, I don't remember. I I actually preached on it one time and and, and it's kind of a little bit irrelevant. Because if you know what one angel can do, can you imagine what 12 legions? I think a legion is like 5,000. So you multiply 5,000 times 12. I'm not going to do it because God knew I would be too powerful if I could do math also. Okay? But if you've got a smartphone, you you can do the math. It's like 60,000 angels. Do you not think that I cannot call upon my Father and at once... He will put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. That's dangerous. But did he? Nope. Because one of the most powerful things that Jesus demonstrated is something that you can practice every single single day of your life. And that is meekness. Meekness. Now, what is meekness? It is power under control. When, when, when you when you see people like Ty that can that, that can take these fifteen hundred pound horses or twelve hundred pound horses and go out there and rope bulls and rope yearlings and, and basically do whatever he wants to with them, you know that is taking the horse's strength because the cowboy may be the brains behind it, but he's not the brawn behind it. But he is taking these horses, and putting their strength under control. That's what meekness means. It does, not necess- it does not mean weakness. Just because two things rhyme doesn't mean that they mean the exact same thing. Meekness means power under control. How can we use this dangerous power of meekness? By putting ourselves under the power of God. Now, now we, we can't control God, but we can use his power in our daily lives. But at the same time, just in order to use that power of God, we have to demonstrate self-control. Because, I mean, what, what would Jesus have done if he had got all hot and bothered and offended and mad and everything and just said, you know what, to heck with all of you. I'm not going to go through this pain and I'm not going to go through this suffering. I'm tired of y'all putting th- crowns of thorn on my head. I'm tired of y'all spitting on me and, and stripping me down naked and nailing me to a cross. Man, to heck with you. I'm done with you. God, send down the cavalry. But he didn't do that. He had the absolute strength. But it was under absolute control. If you want to tap into the power of God, man, there's no other way. Well, there's other ways to do it, and we'll talk about it. But one of the main ways is being meek. It's not doing what you can. It's doing what you should. Because anybody can mouth off. Anybody can get mad and start flipping the bird and in traffic and whooping on horses and and all of this stuff. Man, you've got to be under control if you want to tap into the power of God. You can't just give in to every whim and fancy and desire and want and lust that you have. Man, you've got to have self-control. That's what being meek is all about, is being in control. 
The other thing that meekness is, is, is being able not to see what is happening, but to see what God sees. Because see, all those people, even when they were nailing him to the cross, even when they were, they were flogging him, man, he was able to see them as ones that God loved and God wanted to save. He didn't rely on his own emotions. He relied upon knowing what God knows. And finally, if you want to be meek in your life, you got to submit to his will for our lives. You know, whenever he was in the garden the night before he was crucified, he went and he prayed so hard and he was under such anguish because don't forget he was God. He knew what was coming. He prayed and he said, God, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering away from me, but not my will, but yours. That doesn't mean that you're not going to have a hard time with this. It doesn't mean that you're going to like the outcome of, of being meek, of being under self-control, of, of, be, of seeing people the way that God sees them. There's nothing about that that's easy. But if you, want, if you want that type of power in your life, you've got to do those three things. You've got to be in control. You've got to be able to see people the way God sees them. And you've got to submit your life to his will, not your will to his life somehow. You know, we, we, we pick and choose what we want based upon if it fits our agenda or not. We don't get to pick and choose. We got to submit to his will for our lives. And we'll talk more on that in just a minute. In John chapter 18, verses 36 through 38, Jesus is talking to some people and he says, Jesus answered, my kingdom is, well, he's actually talking to Pilate during his trial. And Jesus answered, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into this world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. And Pilate asked, what is truth? What is truth? You know, especially in the world of social media and, and, and the media in general, man, the, 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 word, the words opinion, fact, and truth are so intermingled, and they are as far as east from south to north, okay? Just because something is an opinion doesn't make it fact, and just because somebody can use something as fact doesn't make it truth. What is the only thing that is true? And that is the word of God. Truth doesn't fit our agenda. It only fits God's will. Truth is powerful, folks. Truth is dangerous. How can we use this dangerous power of truth? Well, the first thing you have to understand is that the truth doesn't make our lives easier. It makes our lives stronger. It does not make our lives easier. It makes our lives stronger. You don't get stronger by sitting on the couch. You don't get stronger by taking the easy way out every stinking time something gets a little bit rough. Truth makes us stronger because there's wisdom in truth. 
Truth makes us stronger because there's wisdom in truth. And I'm not talking about earthly wisdom of, of, of how to move your horse to the left or to the right or to back up or getting to set his head correctly. That's not, that's earthly wisdom. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with it, but we're talking about the wisdom that comes from God himself. You know, there, there's a deal in Ecclesiastes. Now, who wrote Ecclesiastes is a fellow named Solomon. And who was Solomon? It was King David's son. Okay. God told Solomon, he said, you know what? Because of your father, I'm going to give you whatever you ask for. You name it and I'll give it to you. If God asked you, if God told you, I'll give you whatever you want. I'm going to write you basically a blank check. How will you fill it out? You know what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom. To uh, The wisdom to rule according to God. Not according to what would make him richer or more powerful or anything like that. He asked for wisdom. And God was so impressed by his answer. He said, you know what, man, I like it so much I'm going to give you everything else. He was also the richest man that ever lived. He was one of the most powerful people in the world. He dined. The most powerful people in the world sat at his table, not because of who he was, but because of the wisdom that God had given him. And Solomon wrote a book in the Bible called Ecclesiastes. Go read it. And in Ecclesiastes, he talks about there was once a small town that a great king came to conquer. But yet in this town lived a poor man. And although he was poor, he had wisdom and was able to save everybody in the town. Now, that wasn't through military might. He doesn't even go on to say how this poor man that didn't have anything was able to save a town. But it impressed Solomon, one the most powerful man on earth. At the time, it impressed him so much that he wrote about it in the Bible. I don't even know that Solomon knew how. But see, Solomon could only see power through his wisdom and his riches and his kingdom. But he recognized that the true power didn't lie in the wealth and the power. The true power was because of wisdom. And it is available to anybody and it's dangerous. Doesn't matter how small you feel, doesn't matter what you belong to. When you have the wisdom of God, you are a dangerous, dangerous individual. The truth makes us stronger through wisdom, but the truth also makes us stronger through living the right way. And you, you might have heard this term before, the righteousness or living righteously. Well, that, that's a big fancy church word that's thrown around a lot that not many people explain. It just means living how God says to live. Truth makes us stronger because if we read the Bible and God says do it this way and this way and this way and don't do this and this and this, then all of a sudden, man, he starts to infiltrate your life and you become wise and you become powerful and you become dangerous. Not doing things the way you want them done, not doing things the way that makes, you, makes your life easier, but the way that makes your life stronger. And you don't ever become stronger by doing things the easy way and the truth 
makes us stronger, makes us more dangerous through grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve and passing that along to others. Jesus said, man, if you only love those that love others, you get absolutely no credit for it. I mean, it's all good and well. You don't get credit for only loving those that love you back. But you do get not only credit, but you get a crown in heaven for loving those that don't love you. That's given grace. And why do we give grace? Because it was first given to us. You want to be a dangerous individual? You want to be a strong individual? Give grace and love to that one person or maybe those couple of people. Maybe the person driving on I-25 or, or, or maybe the, the person that, I don't know. You know who you're talking to. You know who I'm talking about in your life. Who do you need to give grace to? If you don't, you'll stay just like you are. But if you want to be a strong and dangerous individual, learn to give grace. And the grace is only given through the truth. In John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. <laughs> right? We just got through talking about truth. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. The son, talking about himself, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. You want to be powerful? You want to be dangerously powerful? Then you need a relationship with God and do things the way God does them. That's the only way you can reach your full potential in life is by doing things according to the truth of being wise and having a relationship with God, not just a, I believe in God. Man, even the demons believe in God and they shudder in fear. So if, if you're just thinking, well, I believe that there's a God, that don't do nothing. Have you given your life to him? Do you do things the way he says done? Is there a relationship? Are you talking with him daily? Is he talking back to you through his word? Or are y'all like fair weather friends? Kind of like some friend from high school that you only talk to every two or three years. Is that your relationship with God? Because that's not a relationship. You need a relationship with God. And the only way to develop that is by doing what he says to do the way he says to do it when he says to do it. Listen, you're either going to do things the way God says to do them or you're going to do things the way you say you think you should do them. You know what that's called? Self-dependence. And self-dependence isn't power, not by any stretch of the imagination. So how do we use, how do we maybe tap in to this dangerous power of righteous living? The first is through surrender, is through surrender. Isn't it crazy that one of the most powerful things we can do is surrender our lives to the will of God? I mean, if you don't surrender your life to the will of God, then you are depending upon yourself and your ways and your wants and your desires instead of God's. One of the most powerful things you can do, one of the most dangerous things you can do is surrender your life. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be set free is to surrender everything you have. Not just what you have left over. It means giving everything to God. Surrender everything, your thoughts, your emotions, your will, your way. 
Have you done that? How do we tap into this dangerous power of right living? Through surrender and also through weakness. In 2 Corinthians 12, 19, my power is made perfect through weakness. When you finally admit that that you are not powerful, that, that you are weak, that you are not strong, when you become that conduit through which God's power and his love and his grace can flow, and you become dangerous, real dangerous. Weakness is admitting what you lack and learning to lean upon God. You know, a lot of people don't know what that looks like. Not too long ago, Robert was in Texas and he asked us to, check on his cows and so i was gonna go out there and my wife said well you want me to go with you i said man baby i'd love you to go with me and, you know a lot of y'all see her as just you know this hot chick that you know just real cute and everything <laughs> make no mistake man that girl can ride just because you ain't seen it don't mean she can't get it done but you know what she was doing she 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 was she was going to an area that she had no idea where she was going but i did I knew where we were going. I knew where the gates were. I knew which pastures the cattle were in. And so you know what she did? She followed me. Even when she was riding right beside me, she was following me. And then once we found cattle, you know, I I told her what to look for. Look for swelling. Check their eyes, you know. Make sure that they get up and walk off and, you know, look at their ears. And and I told her several things. And she's like, okay. So, you know, I'd send her over there, you know, about where my house is. And and, and she she would check cattle too. And, you know, she made sure every stinking one of them got up. I mean, she did a great job. It's not that she couldn't have figured it out. But she relied on someone with more experience and knowledge that knew what the boss expected. And that's what we do with Jesus. Man, we follow him because he knows what the boss expects. He's the one that teaches us what to do. He's the one that teaches us how to do it and what to look for. How do we use this dangerous power of right living? By surrendering, by admitting our weakness, and also probably the ultimate way, by dying. Anybody can die once. Can you die today? Can you die tomorrow? What about on Tuesday or Wednesday or when September rolls around or October or November or December? Can you die each and every one of those days? In Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, if you want to join with me on my ride, if you want to go with me, cowboy, if you want to go with me, cowgirl, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. In other words, are you willing to die? Not just once but every single day, not where your heart stops, but where your will stops and you replace your will with his will, where you die to your way and you start taking his way. Your wants, talents, and skills are not your strengths. They are your weaknesses. Dying to self means emerging from your comfort zone in faith. You don't know how many times I, I, I hear people that, that they want to use their skills and their talents and their abilities for God's glory, but they never want to step out of their comfort zone. They want to use what they're good at in order to do something for God. Well, you know what? I never wanted to be a preacher. I was content to serve, man, because that's what cowboys do. We serve. We serve these cattle. We serve this grass. We serve, you know, we're the, we're the ones that give the, the, the open up the hydrant to give water if God hadn't provided it naturally. 
And even then, even when we open the hydrant, it all comes from him. We are servants by nature. And I was absolutely cool being a servant. But then he called me and he's like, hey, man, I want you to step up and tell others about me. I'm like, whoa, hang on there, cowboy. Let me just do something I'm already good at. And he's like, no, I want you to do something that you're bad at. Because if it's something that you're good at, then you're going to rely on what you know and what you can do instead of what I know and what I can do. Man, you've got to step outside of your comfort zone. You know what's killing you? Your comfort zone. You're scared to talk to that person at work. You're scared to take your hat off and pray at a meal. You're scared to, that, that somebody's going to think you're weak because you, you don't get mad when somebody else gets mad at you. You think you're going to blow up if you don't open your mouth. Look, I, I hate to say it, but you, will, you are not going to explode if you keep your mouth shut. I know that's difficult. By the way, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. Who would have thought that there was real power and the ability to become extremely dangerous in surrender, weakness, and dying to self? In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. For the Son of Man came to seek. He's looking for you. He's looking for you right now. And he's offering you an invitation to come with him. And most of us are like, man, Jesus, if you'll just go the way I want that I'm going, man, I'll be glad to ride with you. But he's not going to go down that, that wide, narrow path. He's fixing to take you up a creek bed, up steep walls and canyons, and through fire and through water. He's going to take you anywhere besides where you're comfortable. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. Your purpose in life. Listen. This is going to really bother some of you. But your purpose in life is not to go to work, have a nice house, and make sure your kids go to college and make sure that you got enough in your 501K or your IRA or your retirement. Your job, your purpose in life is not to go to work, retire, and then die. You were called to something much more powerful and much more dangerous. I'm not saying that you're not going to do those things, but that is not your purpose. How is there dangerous power? In purpose. You know, the question that I get asked more than any other is this. What does God want me to do? Every single week, I get the same question. Man, I've given my life to God. I just don't know what he wants me to do. And I can give you nearly, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's the total answer, but I can give you the truth. Most people think that their life consists of where you live, what you do. And what other people think about you. But God cares about none of that. See, God doesn't care what you do. He cares who you are and who he wants you to be as a child of God. Man, we make things so complicated. Man, we're, we sit there waiting on God to, to give us a location and a vocation and an education. So that we can fulfill some divine purpose. It's, and the reason you don't hear from him is because he doesn't care. If it's not expressly written in scripture, you are free to choose. You can go do whatever you want to. Okay? Now, let me, let me say something about that. You know, just because I say that he doesn't care what you do, that doesn't mean you can go be a hitman or a child sex trafficker. Okay? I mean, let, let's, let's be a little bit mature here. But if it's not expressed, God doesn't care if you're a cowboy, if you work at Safeway. God does it. it th 
that's meaningless in God's eyes. He cares who you are, not what you do. But how much of your life have you dedicated to figuring out what, what occupation or location or vocation is going to make you happy? And you wonder why nothing ever seems to satisfy. It's because God doesn't care what you do. He cares who you are. Man, if you put 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week or in some of you cases, 120 hours a week. If you put that much time and effort to becoming who God called you to be, you would be the most powerful and dangerous individual in the world. But we don't. We get sidetracked by money and, and bills and food. And did not God say that seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you? Do you not believe that? C.S. Lewis, the great atheist turned theologian, said, we are half-hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition with infinite joy. When infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. For we are far too easily pleased. Are you far too easily pleased with what this world has to offer? Or are you here today? Because there's a longing in your soul for something more, something that only God can give, something powerful, something dangerous. Many of you online on the podcast, you've heard this story. But one night we were getting ready to watch a movie. And as I sat down in my maroon, comfy, easy chair that reclines back, as my wife was fixing the buttered popcorn with a little fajita seasoning on it, if you never tried it, man, you, you missed out. There was a noise in the living room. It was a cricket. I love crickets. You know you're not supposed to kill crickets, right? It's supposed to be bad luck. Well, my wife walks in there. She goes, you got to do something about that cricket. I won't be able to concentrate. I'll just be sitting there listening to the cricket. And then, you know, every actor on the the show is just going to be talking in cricket. You got to do something about it. Well, you know me, man. My wife needs something. I'm going to see if I can't get it done. So I went into super predator mode. Boy, and I zeroed in and I found that little booger. He was up on the curtain rod above my chair or above the couch that was right next to my chair. So I climbed up on the couch and I stood on the arm of this big couch. And I reached up there with the grace of God real slow like. And I didn't smash him. I just... Real gently grabbed a hold of him. And the next thing I knew, we was driving to Castle Rock to the emergency room. That cricket had been Bruce Lee incarnated. And while you may know the story, even I didn't know the true lesson I learned until today. And you'll have to come back next week to find out what that is. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the power that has been made available to us, not for our glory but for yours. God, we are half-hearted creatures that are satisfied with mud pies, but those of us here desire something far greater. God, we want to move mountains and walk on water and be a part of bringing the dead back to life as you did, but we can do nothing of our own power. We can only do what we saw you do and follow your narrow trail. We aren't going to go looking for people to save. We're going to go look to ourselves and become who you've called us to be. That is when the Holy Spirit, the source of your power, comes into our lives to produce amazing transformations. And God, I mean, seriously, 
If you can transform a bug into a butterfly, what more can you do for us that love and follow you? And it's in Jesus' name I pray.